The name of this series is What If? I love to ask that question. What if? What if I exercised? What if I dieted? What if I watched less TV? You know, we, you know what if? The what if question can lead us to, uh, it can lead us to a lot of good things, and then it can lead us to some not so good things. Last week we started with what if everybody was in service? What if everybody was a servant of God? This week, and I know everybody hates hearing about it, what if everybody was generous? What if everybody was generous? Even at the even at the smallest level. Uh, Wednesday night I was talking to Steve Hathaway and, and, and Steve said to me, hey, I understand the church is doing pretty well financially. I said, you know, Steve, it really is. I think, uh, I don't know, Brian would answer this question better than me, but I think we're probably doing better than this church has done in 10 years. We're really in good shape. And he said, well, does that mean we can give less? Duh. You know, the problem so often in the church is that we respond because there's a critical need. Somebody makes a, a plea, and suddenly we've got money to give. Well, if that's our reason for giving, then we've missed the real blessing of generosity. We give because... We need it. We, we give because we ask the question, what if? What if I, what if I, if I give generously, what can God do with this? So we don't give because of what the church has done or even for what the church is doing, but for what, for what God might be able to do in the future. To catch a hold of God's vision. And, and I, I, I truly believe this. And I keep saying it and saying it. This church is in just the right place. At just the right time. With just the right people. To do incredible things for Christ. But it's up to us. To take hold of it. It's up to us to take hold of it. What if we look not only were generous, but looked for ways to be generous? Peter Marshall tells a story about a man that came in to see him, longtime member of the church, and he said, Dr. Marshall, I I uh, I, I've been a tither. All my life. And he says, you know, when I was making $50,000 a year and giving 5000 that wasn't such a big deal. But, you know, over the last five years, I have really done well. And this year, I'm going to make over $5,000. And the thought of giving $50,000 to the church is just a little bit too much for me. And would you pray for me and help me deal with this crisis in my life? You've heard this, haven't you? 
And Dr. Marshall said, I will absolutely pray for you. He says, Lord, I pray for James, and I pray that you would lower his salary (laughs) so that he would feel more comfortable tithing to you. (laughs) I don't want God to lower my salary. And I'm going to get to some of the scriptural passages here in a minute. But let me just say this, that the Bible has a lot to say about money, and for good reason. It is often what captures our heart. It is often what captures our heart. In the Gospels, there are 29 parables. 29 parables. 16 deal with a person's wealth, treasures, and possessions. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. The Apostle Paul connects tithing and the modern practice of giving in that day to the church and what the church was about. I want to look at those scriptures this morning and not talk about the church's need, but our need and the opportunity that is before us with God's vision. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our strength, our Redeemer, hide me behind the cross, O God, that these words would be your words, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for all that I do not say that you would have me say, may they hear it anyway, O oh God. May they hear you only this day. Amen. God, giving is rooted in God's love. Giving is rooted in God's love. Verse 6 and 7 of 2 Corinthians 9 says, it, uh, says that people should give not because they have to, because we want to. In fact, it goes on to say, God loves a cheerful giver. I was doing my Greek study on, the, on that passage, and the word there for cheerful is haleron, which is uh, a, from which we get our word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. And, and, you know, we can kind of think of that in some ways. Well, God loves that, that, that person that is so generous that, that it, is, it is hilarious. Or, or that we give in such a spirit that, that we are excited about, about what God might do. Or it could be like my accountant who looks at my giving record and she laughs and she says, what are you doing? You know, she thinks my giving is hilarious. <laughs> But the point of this passage is not so much what is our attitude, but is is the focus on God's love. We give because God loves us. And we give in response to that love. And it's not measured individually. God doesn't line all of you up and go... You know, okay, we've got a set here of people, and here's the order. 
It's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. It's about our sacrifice. And so just as God has sacrificed for us, so we are asked to sacrifice for God. Our giving, therefore, is an expression of our thanks. Now, I want you to do this for a second. I want you to, and don't do it, don't pull it out right now because hardly any of us carry checkbooks anymore. But when you get home today, pull up your bank account and take a look at, at, at the transactions that you have. Or if you'd like, pull up your credit cards, look at your transactions, and what do they say about your life? What do they say about your priorities? What do they say about what you value? Somebody's laughing. What, what do you value? <laughs> huh? You like to eat. You like to eat. Will your bank account say that you love God? Will your calendar say that you love God? We can, we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. Now, we know this with our family. Because with our families, we will do whatever it takes. We will, we will pour ourselves out. I told my kids again and again, I, I love you more than my life. I will stand in front of a bus for you. If that's what it takes. Would we stand in a bus for God? In front of a bus for God? Now I'm going to address something that is going to be controversial. Don't you love it when your pastor is controversial? There's a problem with tithing. The problem with tithing. Do y'all hear that word a lot? No. no? <laughs> ah, you probably don't want to hear it anymore, do you? No. Tithing. You know, that biblical standard for giving, 10%. And we argue about things what before taxes or after taxes. Does that include my expense account? Does that include my bonus? I mean, we just go on... You know, I think that we get so tied up in tithing and the legality of tithing, we miss the point of generosity. See, the problem with tithing is how we view it. We view it as an obligation. When it's an obligation, it doesn't work. And what really, I think, turns people off is, is when we in the church begin to talk about tithing as a command, as a have to, as a must, as if, as if somehow we are deficient, we are defective unless we tithe. And so, a lot of people do. And I would guess this church is full of tithers. The generosity of this church is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, and don't misunderstand me. I believe in tithing. I, I, I tithe, I give 10%, and I include my expense account and my anything. I mean, whatever comes in, it's first fruits. 
But I also believe in the concept of offering. That I give an offering to God because of what God has done for me. I give an offering to God because of what I believe God can do. I give an offering to God because I believe in you as the church. A tithe is just a beginning. Just a beginning. Rick Warren said this in The Purpose Driven Life. He said, did you know that your checkbook and your calendar are theological documents? He says, I can tell you right now what you love because of the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, and what you love the most. Uh, By the way, Rick Warren gives 90% of his income. About 15 years ago, he was being challenged at a uh, a religion and press uh, conference in, in Florida and the, they had some pastors on there, and they had some uh, media representatives. And some woman, who was probably a non-believer, she challenged uh, Dr. Warren. She said, Dr. Warren, you know, you make a lot of money with your book sales. And how do you justify your wealth with the preaching of sacrifice? And he said, I'm so glad you asked me. He says, because my wife and I, a few years ago, when, when, when our book sales began to increase, we decided that we were not going to change our lifestyle, that we were going to continue to live the same lifestyle, that that was what was good for our kids, that they did not need to be a part of some kind of affluent. And this was Rick Warren. I'm not saying this for anybody. This is his testimony. I'm not saying this for anybody else. You have to do as God has led you. And he said, so what we decided to do is to give away 90%, because we could live on the 10%, to give away 90%, and in addition to that, we no longer take a salary from Saddleback Church, and we're in the process of giving back every dollar that the church has given us, has paid us over the years. Boy, it shut her up in a minute. Here's what I say to people that are struggling with giving. Pray. Pray about what God would have you to do. See, and if you're not tithing, to see tithing as a, as a goal. And, and each year, take the next step. Take the next step. I, I think one of the problems we have in the church, particularly with giving and with other things too, is that the brain has uh, different functions, and the most primitive function is that fight-or-flight function. It is our reaction. And that part of our primitive brain is the most rapid response. Uh, the next is the emotional part of the brain. It's a little bit slower, about half as slow as the primitive part of the brain. And if we wait long enough, then our emotions come into play. So somebody says, would you give? We immediately react by, how's that going to affect me? And then we start to get emotional about it, you know. And then the third is the logical. It works about ten times slower than the reactive part of the brain. And the slowest part of our psyche is the spiritual. 
No wonder we have issues in our own personal spiritual lives in responding to God's call on us. Pray. Wait. Listen. Here's why we should give. Because God releases God's blessings. Verses 8 through 11, God releases God's blessing. In verse 10, he uses the harvest that God supplies, the seed and the harvest. It's kind of a, it's a cycle of God giving and us receiving and then us giving and working the, the field and receiving and giving. God releases God's blessings. Now, I want to be clear right here that I don't believe that God makes us rich when we give in terms of finances. I don't, I'm not there. I do believe that God makes us rich in other ways. And, and I also believe that, that this releasing of God's blessing sometimes is a, is a releasing of financial so that we may, in greater ways, be a blessing. Studies show that uh, the average churchgoer today, the average churchgoer, not the average church member, the average churchgoer gets somewhere between 1.5 and 2.5 of their income to their church organization. Do you know who the most generous people are in our nation? Huh? Anybody know? There's two groups. Huh? The Mormons? No, I'm talking about financially. <laughs> I, I think the Mormons probably do, but, you know, they've, they've got a pretty hard set of what's going to happen to you if you don't. We're a whole lot more gracious. Maybe we do need, you know, if God would just run the rain right up to the fence line... Then, uh, anyway, never mind. Um, <laughs> two groups. The largest group is those persons in the church that make less than the average income in the U.S. The second group is the top 2% wealthiest in our nation. And, and maybe say, well, they have, they have the... The ability, I think that it's the way they look at life. Those below the poverty line are, not, are looking at, at everything as an opportunity and a ble- below the average income as an opportunity and a blessing. And those who have it know that they didn't get there on their own. Several years ago, Christianity Today did a report on what they call the 90-day challenge. Um, the 90-day challenge. Different churches across the nation made this promise. There were, um, let's see, I believe there were like 700 people, 7,000 that took the challenge in different churches. And the challenge was this. If you give 10% over a three-month period and it doesn't work for you, the church will give you back all your money. Now, I don't have the authority to do that. (laughs) Right, Brian? (laughs) I don't have the authority to do that. But I wonder if we just 
tested and saw what happened. Out of that 7,000, by the way, like 0.25% asked for their money back. 70% continued to give at the same level. Something happened that they were not expecting. Incredible. Incredible. This is what one pastor said after the 90-day challenge. Tithing is about being obedient, putting God first in our finances, and training our hearts to trust Him at His word. It's one of the hardest next steps for many people to take. And the 90-day challenge was one way that we could help people take that step. Hmm. Well, finally, why do I give? I want to give you my own testimony. Um, And real quick, (laughs) when I was uh, finishing my senior year in high school, my dad really was open about his giving, encouraging my sister and I of the importance of it and what it meant, the theological side, the emotional side, the physical side. And I remember one day I was, I was wondering, because I had, was saving money for my college. I had a scholarship, but I still had to have gas money and that kind of thing at the University of Texas. And I had counted it all up, and I was really short. And as I'm walking out of the sanctuary that day, a little man by the name of Mr. Coates, that's all I knew him by. I remember Peppermint Man, he carried peppermints around and gave them to everybody. Handed me an envelope. And he said, here. This is a long time ago. And there were five $20 bills in there. I thought I had more money than God. <laughs> you know. And then this voice said to me, John, you're behind on your giving. And I went back in and gave half of it to the church. And here's what happened. I was walking back out the door, and Mr. Coates says to me, Oh, by the way, I was going to give you two envelopes. And he gives me another $100. And I'm thinking, if I had not gone back in and got given that, what, what, (laughs) But it made an impact on me. I will never forget that story. Why do I give? Number one, it protects me from greed. It protects me from greed. If I give first to God, then there are a lot of things I can't afford. There are a lot of things I can't afford. And so I have this kind of protection from greed. And what's interesting is, is that when I'm giving to God first, I end up having more than I expected left over because I'm being more careful with what I have. For example, I put my kid through college and didn't have to borrow anything. I don't owe anybody any money right now and haven't for the last 15 years. And, and you could say, well, God has taken care of you. I think, yes, God has taken care of me, but that practice of tithing has also disciplined me. It protected me from greed. I also believe it's what God wants. I believe it's what God wants. 
Third, I believe it's a matter of faith and dependence on God. There have been difficult financial times in my life when I've kind of had to make a decision like that Sunday between putting the money in my pocket and, and giving the portion to God. And every time that I have been obedient to God, not only have had this spiritual blessing, but the rest of it has always worked out. And I also believe that God keeps God's promises. I want to share with you as I close a passage from Malachi 3. Malachi 3 is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible as far as giving is concerned. And if you've heard this passage, then you know what I'm going to say. And a lot of pastors are afraid to read this passage. Malachi 3 verse 8. Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thus put me to test. Only place in the Bible where God says put me to test. Only place says the Lord of hosts, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Let that sink in for a moment. I had a lady one time say, I was asking her why she gave. She says, because I'm not going to rob God. And Frank said, no one has ever been poor by giving. One final thing. I know I've gone long today, but I had a lot to say. Tony Campolo tells the story about speaking at a women's conference once. And as he was getting up to speak, the lady said, we just got this compelling letter from a missionary. And I'm going to read the letter, and then I want you to pray that God will provide the $2,000 for this missionary in the emergency that this missionary has. And so she gets up, she reads the letter, and Tony Campolo, a great Christian speaker, absolutely, he's kind of edgy, but I love to hear him speak. He says, okay, ladies, I ain't praying. And the leader of the conference just kind of, you know, what? I'm not praying. He said, because the money is in your pockets. (laughs) And you can imagine the looks on their faces, you know. And he said, uh, here. And he reached in his pocket. And he said later, he said, fortunately, I only had about $15, $20 in my pocket. (laughs) And he takes takes the, and he puts it on the table. And he says, I want you to reach into your purses and all the change that you have, put it on the table. And let's see what we have. Over $4,000. You know what Campolo did? Then he prayed. And he said, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. For what you have done through these ladies. And for what will happen with the missionary 
in the means that you have provided. What if? What if? Let's pray. Lord God, I do thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. I thank you for this congregation. And Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity that is before us. For we are in just the right place with just the right people, with just the right resources. But Lord, we also know that none of that means anything without you. And so, God, in these moments as we complete this worship service, anoint us to be your people and send us out to be your workers. And we do thank you in advance. Amen.